Living the Principles. This podcast is hosted by Latricia Smith and Phyllis G. Williams. Living the Principles seeks to expand mindsets, express beliefs, and edify excellence in hopes of building a stronger Black community. Welcome to Living the Principles. Welcome. I am Latricia, and with me is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis. Hello, Latricia, and hello out there, Difference Makers. I haven't done a song in a while, but diddy-diddy-bum-ba, diddy-diddy-bum-ba. Today, we are going to not be talking about Selena, but we're going to be talking about Mexican culture and its relationship to the African diaspora. I want to say up front, we are not black fishing. For those who aren't familiar with that term, black fishing is when someone tries to dominate a culture, a music by saying it was created or all inclusively black. That is not what we're doing. We are only saying that there is. African influence, and even a sub-African culture in Mexico. So you guys are going to learn about that, about our, about our cousins. So there's some history of why there are Afro-Mexicans, and there's some history of why many Mexicans have a small percentage of African ancestry, maybe like two to four percent have African ancestry, but maybe 60% of Mexicans have 2 to 4% African ancestry. And then there's a subculture of Afro-Mexicans. But we're going to get into it. Latricia, let's get into the history. Why are there Afro-Mexicans in Mexico? What a great question, Phyllis. This is a really exciting subject. Doing a little research, what I found was there are a few reasons. So one is that Mexico was part of the slave trade and brought a bunch of Africans over for servitude. Also, there were Africans who came with the conquistadors and who came as explorers. So they were free Africans. And lastly, There were enslaved people in the South here in America, in the United States, who escaped slavery here for freedom in Mexico because Mexico abolished slavery long before they did here in the United States. So there was an underground railroad heading south that we normally don't hear about. Exactly. I was reading about a guy who was formerly enslaved in Texas. He was being interviewed. And during the interview, I think they said he was like 92 years old at the time he was being interviewed in the, I think it was in the 1920s or 1930s. And he was saying that people were telling them that they should go north for freedom. And he was like, why do we need to go north? All we have to do is walk south over to to Mexico, if we can make it to the Rio Grande, then we can be free. We don't need to go 
all the way north when it's closer to go to Mexico. He didn't do it, but there were a lot of people who escaped slavery in Texas and even in Louisiana that went to Mexico for freedom. I saw another, it wasn't a documentary, I think it was just a short video about Afro-Mexicans or people who had African ancestry from, from the American South, and they presented as just Mexicans, but they were singing what we would call Negro spirituals, and they were telling the interviewers that their great-grandparents sang those songs. That's the first time I had heard that there was a Underground Railroad heading south. So that was so interesting to me. Let's get into a little bit about how did it look in Mexico during this era? What were some of the cities? What did the what do they look like? Or what did they look like? Of course they came through port cities. So a lot of the cities are cities where there are a lot of black people. Is that what you mean? So it looked like most of the free, most of the darker complexion Mexicans live on the outskirts of Mexico or do they live in the inlands? I think most of them live in rural towns and the port cities. There's an area, I think it's called um, Costa Chica, where I think I read it's like a 200 mile stretch where a lot of the Black people live in Mexico. I think Guerrero is one of the big places and Veracruz. I think those are two of the big places. And I think within Veracruz, there's a town called Yanga. And Yanga is where the first town of free Black people was established. It was a rebellion from the enslaved people. They rebelled against the Spanish and they ended up getting this city as their own independent town, which is just amazing. And I think it's not only the first independent town in Mexico, but I think it was the first independent town in the Americas altogether. And it was called something else but they changed the name to Yanga, who was the person who led the rebellion. And they even have a statue of him in the town. I remember seeing that statue and it just so happened that I ran across it when I was researching the good news. So uh, I think that's very fascinating. And he was a West African, which of course, most of the African ancestry from Mexico is from West Africa, as expected, because of the transatlantic slave trade. Which brings us to another point. Was there some similarities in the United States and Mexico as it related to discrimination? 
So for example, was it based on socioeconomic status? Was it based on the skin color? What was the system that differentiated discrimination? Before Mexico gained their independence, they had the caste system. And basically, of course, the Europeans were at the top. And then I guess the darker you got, it went down the line to the bottom. So the enslaved were at the bottom. There was a lot of mixing of races. So you had the Spanish mixing with the indigenous people. You had Spanish mixing with the Africans. You had the indigenous mixing with the Africans. So there there were so many different mixes that there was a lot to this whole caste system. But basically, it was based on color. So I guess the whiter you were, the higher you were in the system and the darker you were, the lower you were on the system. And And the more access you had to land, to resources. Jobs. And Louisiana and um, businesses and things like that as well. Exactly. So earlier you said that slavery was abolished in Mexico before in America. Can you tell me a little bit about that? When was it abolished and a little bit of background about it as well? So I think they were looking at abolishing slavery once they became independent. I think it was a slow process. But by the time the second president came along, who is said to be Afro-Mexican, he abolished slavery in 1829. But even though slavery was abolished, then, of course, at that time, Texas was still part of Mexico. So Texas continued to have slavery. They got their freedom and then later became part of the United States. And when they became part of the United States, of course, they were a slave state and had more slaves in the United States than they actually had while they were in Mexico. But I think the president, who was the second president, whose name was Guerrero, which is the state named after him where a lot of the Black people live, he abolished slavery. And then I think later it became officially abolished by the the government. I wonder if they have something similar to Juneteenth or will they join in and arm in arm with us and celebrate. That's just interesting that they, even though they did it before uh, the United States, I would like to see some something similar for them. And by doing that, it you couldn't deny the history in Mexico. Because like you said, well, I don't even think we said this yet, but it seems that no one or very few people are familiar with the African ancestry in Mexico. And I think by having a celebration, sort of like it wouldn't be Juneteenth or whatever. They already have Cinco de Mayo, but maybe that's it. They'll They'll have their own celebration, the Mexican version of Juneteenth. That would be dope. And it would spread cultural awareness. So somebody get on that, the 
Opali in Mexico. It owned that. It wasn't until 2020 that Afro-Mexicans were on the census. We've touched on some possibilities, but what's your personal opinion on why do you think that was? It seems to me that Mexico wants everybody to believe that they're this unified place and everybody is the same. So if they don't differentiate people by race, then that means, you know, we're, we're all Mexicans. And maybe that's how they wanted it to be. And theoretically, maybe maybe that makes sense. But it's not that they're all the same, because if there are discriminatory practices, then you're not all the same. If everybody had equal rights and everything was equal, then okay, we're not going to differentiate people by race or color and everybody is going to get fair treatment, but that's just not how it is. So I don't know why why they did withhold that, but I'm glad that people are now able to be identified. But part of it too, I was thinking, even though there are people, I think it was like 2 million people who identified as Black, I think there are still a lot of people who haven't identified as Black, and maybe it's because they don't know they're Black, because this history has been withheld from them. If they're thinking like, there are no Africans in Mexico, the Black people who are here, they're immigrants, and they're not Mexicans. And I'm willing to bet there are thousands of Mexicans who have that small percentage of African ancestry in their DNA, and they have no idea of why. And they're probably like, well, how did that get there? Because they probably heard that they their grandparents were from Spain and all of this stuff. So they are probably flabbergasted when they take a DNA test and they see West African. And they're like, so I agree there's a lot of information that they just don't know that we just don't know we're still learning and I feel that by saying we're all just identified by our nation it looks good on paper but it's not what happens in day-to-day life so they would say that but then they'll still treat the darker person differently when they go to file their paperwork or as it shows that there's more poverty and discrimination in the Afro-Mexican communities like Guillermo and Veracruz and Mexico City and Oaxacasca, that those are the most poverty-stricken cities and they face the most discrimination. So. Yes, I think you have to do both because you have to address the issue by saying, why is this happening? One of the things that I read that was so disturbing was that when people travel, either they're on a bus or they're going to different places. And I even read something about a, a popular singer who was traveling and the immigration people pulled them off the 
bus and had them singing the national anthem, asking about the last five governors and all of these things and not accepting their cards. I guess some of them have, I imagine whoever can vote, have voter registration cards and things. And I was reading about this lady. She was saying that her and her mother had gotten pulled off of a bus and they didn't accept her voter registration card. And she had to go through all of this stuff. And she says since that time that she travels with all of these papers with her, she she travels with her birth certificate, every every card that shows her identity as a Mexican because of her skin tone, they don't believe she's Mexican. And I even read about some stories where people were being deported to places that they're not even from, like Haiti, because they were told that they look Haitian. And they're straight up Mexican. They're Afro-Mexican. They're Black Mexicans. They're born and raised in Mexico of Mexican heritage. And they're trying to deport them to other places. So the discrimination is real. And I even read more about discrimination, about discrimination in jobs and how they're education system, the health care system, how they just don't get the services. It's just really sad. And how some of these towns, they're underdeveloped. They don't have paved roads. It's just so much that's going on as far as the discrimination and the poverty, bringing it to the forefront to let people know that they actually exist and that they need help. Why are they what they consider invisible? I also imagine they are mistaken for other Hispanics. They may be mistaken for Cubans or Dominicans as well. Yeah, that is that is so true. And and you know what else? There are other black people who live in Mexico. So there are other Afro-Latinos there. There are other there are people from who are African. There are people who are from Haiti who live there. So they do have immigrants there, but they're a different population than than the Afro-Mexicans who are you know, born and raised there. So I don't understand why other Mexicans don't know that Black Mexicans do exist, that you can be Black and Mexican at the same time. I don't understand it. It's crazy. It has to feel very isolating to be an Afro-Mexican in be told that you're not one of us. And you're absolutely right. Lupita Nyong'o, even though she has Kenyan parents, she was born in Mexico. So she's also fluent in Spanish. But absolutely, there are people who are not of that ancestry. So it's not just about skin color. It's not just about texture of hair. There's a lot of things that has been intertwined with the Mexican culture. Can you think about some things? And we know culture is, it could be language, it could be food, it could be music. Can you think of some things that relate to music? One of the things that I was thinking about was this dance or this festival that they have in one of the Black cities or one of the Black towns in Mexico. It dates back to times of slavery from my understanding they said that the enslaved had like one day off and they did this big celebration 
And they continue to have that celebration now where they they dance and they put on masks and someone puts on like a white face. They have this whole festival. I think it's called the dance, the dance of the devil. And that has African roots. I think the music has similarities to Africa, like the instruments they play. And it is fascinating. And I'm so happy that so many, so many people there, they are embracing the culture and especially the younger people that they're embracing the culture, they're embracing their blackness and they're and they're owning their blackness. Yes. And I saw some young people on TikTok doing some dances and it reminded me of the African culture because they had an item on their head and they were bending down low and moving their hips as they went lower and lower and lower to the ground. And if that is not African influence, ain't a cow in Texas, because that was definitely something that reminded me of, um, of African culture, of African dances. So we talked about music. You talked about, you didn't speak of directly, but the beating of the drums. And I think about being around in a circle and somebody getting in a circle. And the festival that you were speaking of, I imagine that happened as well. Do you remember anything or do you, can you think of anything as it relates to food? How African culture may be intertwined with um, Mexican culture? I think they have spicy food. And I know that in the region that has a lot of black people, that they have specific foods that are unique to their area and some of the fruits and vegetables, the fish that I think they eat a lot of beef that is, you know, influenced by African culture. Yes, and I even saw that a lot of the food that we brought over, the sweet potato, the yuca, and I do see more Mexicans eat, um, especially the yuca, and even the way they prepare their food, such as the candied fruits, how they stuff it with fat, that's the way they prepare it in Africa, and this is also from TikTok. I forgot his name, but he speaks a lot about culture, just culture in general, and he always relates it to food. So we always think about Asia when we think of rice, but there is also rice in Africa. And we know of a lot of Mexican dishes that have rice. So there's so much. And being on the coast where they are, you know, a lot of the Afro-Mexicans are fishermen, so they eat a lot of fish. And I did also see that they eat a lot of rice as well. So the textbooks may not have it. You may not see it on TV. We only found one documentary about Afro-Mexicans. But from this episode, we hope that you have learned a lot about Afro-Mexicans, about how they have fought, how they have freed, and how they have rich African ancestry intertwined with their beautiful Mexican culture. And Latricia, that brings us to our principal challenge. Principal challenge. 
live them out. Our principal challenge for today is to research an Afro-Mexican and or follow someone on social media who talks about African-Mexican culture. For our next session, open your mind, heart, and ears as we spread the good news. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles, we spread the good news. New Mexico recently held its first Afro-Latino festival. Afro Mundo brought storytellers and local scholars together to form a tradition embracing contemporary informed arts community. The history, culture, and traditions of Afro-Latino people across the Americas took center stage. This was inspired by both education and the Black Lives Matter movement. Paul Ortiz is an author and history professor at the University of Florida. His award-winning book, An African-American and Latino History of the United States, is on a list of hundreds of books that Texas Republicans and conservatives have been removing from school libraries and classrooms or challenging as potentially unsuitable for young minds. Ortiz's book and the other titles have become a catalyst for the first book ban caravan. Organizations such as Libro Traficante and Texas League of United Latin American Citizens will rally on Cesar Chavez to protest against the ban and later at the Capitol. This may be the largest rally to halt banning books in schools. Our third good news, also based on Latino culture, the Latino Arts Project curated a special exhibit at the African American Museum in Dallas last month, April 22, that runs until October. It celebrated Afro-Mexican culture, highlighted the slave rebellion, and expanded on a local hero such as Gaspar Younga. The purpose of the exhibit is to preserve history, spread cultural awareness, and celebrate freedom. That includes our good news. And don't forget, it costs gravy to run this train. Please donate to us by visiting livingtheprinciples365.com in the show notes. All right, Latricia, now our soul snack. Our soul snack for today comes from a Sudanese proverb, and it says, we desire to bequeath two things to our children. The first one is roots. The other one is wings. That's our show for today. Until next time, expand your minds and impact your community. Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.